Hey, hey, happy middle of summer. I am Ted King. I'm your host on King of the Ride podcast. Holy guacamole, time is flying by. Here we are one week into August. Feels like summer just started. Laura and I are headed to the family lead boat challenge this coming weekend in Colorado. That is the Leadville to Steamboat back-to-back, the family lead boat. We're all heading out to Colorado. Laura's going to be racing Leadville on Saturday while I am hanging out with Hazel. Then we're going to switch roles to Steamboat, where I get to defend my title having won the 2019 edition. That's modern racing for us, the shuffle of caring for Hazel while still getting out and about to chase our bike riding and bike racing dreams. Speaking of getting out and about, last weekend was Rooted Vermont, which is appropriate for this episode in which I'm very excited to talk with Emma Langley, winner of the 2021 Rooted Vermont, presented by Untapped, Sip of Sunshine Long Course. Emma is a neo-pro with the Tibco Pro Cycling Team, and so not only do I want to pick her brain on, on being the winner of this year's event, I'm really curious about her take on the entire state of cycling. Here we have the perspective of a fresh-faced 25-year-old neo-pro. She's been dabbling in the biggest gravel races across the country from Unbound to BWR, and now I will selfishly put Rue de Vermont in that category, as she's done three gravel events this year. Meanwhile, she's on America's biggest international pro team, Tibco SBB. What a cool ride. What a cool experience. I really wanted to, to hear all about it, pick her brain on what this, what this entire state of cycling is like these days. If you want to check out Rooted, head to our Instagram, Rooted Vermont. We had such a fun time. It was so cool to have a handful of the Tibco riders, to have Emma, to have so many friends and family come out for the event. Pictures are worth a thousand words, so we've got a few million words of images there for your viewing pleasure. I'm going to sign off with that. Hopefully we see you on this next spin from Leadville to Steamboat to Last Best Ride up in Montana. My friends, without further ado, welcome Emma Langley. Emma Langley, welcome to King of the Ride podcast. Hello, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Let's see. Uh, let's set the scene. Where are you as we speak? I am in Richmond, Virginia. Not to be confused with <laughs> Richmond, Vermont. Exactly. Um, how long have you been a Virginian? Are you a Virginian? Or how long have you been? I know that I Richmond, am- Virginia is part of your program. So yeah, tell me about what brought you there. I am not a native Virginian, but I've been here for four years now, and I love it. The training here, I think, is it's a hidden gem. So, Yep. Nice. Uh, were you there before the, what was it, 2015 World Championships were there? Were you there even before that? Um, I was in school in Williamsburg, Virginia, uh-huh. so I was able to come up to watch some of the races. I wasn't living in Richmond yet, but I was in the area. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. I was... I was contracted to to lead a very small Grand Fondo from Williamsburg out to Richmond course during that weekend. So, oh my goodness, I I know that they're relatively close by by geography. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and then laying the groundwork 
going way, way back. I'm curious to hear about your upbringing. Um, I mean, I know some, some very, very brief details. I know you grew up in Connecticut. I think you were a swimmer. What is your upbringing like? Uh, parents, siblings, what sports did you play? All of that kind of stuff. What do you got? Sure. Okay. Um, well, I was actually born in England. That's my first fun fact. I like it. Um, and my my parents lived there their whole lives, so they are very much British, but uh, we moved when I was two years old. Um, okay. And we moved around to a few different countries, but landed in the States in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And pretty much from there, I was always into endurance sports. I did swimming, I think, like the year after we moved there and did that all through high school. And then in college, I picked up triathlon. Mm-hmm. So swimming, biking, and running for a couple of years, but then decided to ditch the swim and run and just do cycling. Right on. Um, yeah, I've seen the fun fact that you've lived in three different countries prior to coming to the States. Your parents are British. You you also lived in, what, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, and Sweden. Um, yes. What, did yeah. your, what were your folks doing that, that brought you all over the world? Uh, my dad works for a French bank. Uh-huh. So sort of not what you'd expect necessarily to yep. have us travel, but um, he tells the story that they, his company asked him if he wanted to work abroad for a few years. My parents said, sure, thinking it would just be two years experiencing a new country and then back to England, but they never ended up going back. Oh, that's wild. So they're in the States now currently, is that right? They are, yes. So they're in Connecticut. And okay. that's, where I, that's where I grew up until coming down to Virginia for college. Yep. Siblings? I have one younger brother. Uh-huh. And I'm slowly getting him into biking. Nice. So, yeah, he's coming around. Um, were you Did you did you swim in college? Were you just going to college looking to to find a new athletic pursuit and that's how you found triathlon or or how did that work out? Yeah, so I knew I knew by junior year of high school that I did not necessarily want to swim in college. So I was looking at schools just for academics. Um, I did over 20 college tours because wow. with British parents, they were fascinated by the American school system. <laughs> so we did, I kid you not, 20 tours and William & Mary was the 21st. Wow. And after doing all of that, um, I'd finally kind of narrowed down what type of school I wanted. You know, wanted it to be far enough from home that my parents couldn't just pop down to visit on a weekend, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. still driving distance. And um so I, so I toured William and Mary in Williamsburg and I loved it. And, um, I applied early, so got in and they're a D one swim school. So nice. I wow. knew I did not want to swim division one. I might've been able to try out and walk on the team, but there's, mm-hmm. I wasn't good enough to get recruited or anything. Yeah. Um, so this was, you know, beginning of senior year of high school. I knew I was going to William and Mary and I knew I wasn't swimming. So I wanted to pick up something else. Um, and that's what led me to triathlon. Okay. So you got into it in college as, yep. gotcha. Um, how big is William & Mary? It's, I think, around 7,000 undergrad okay. now. So not too big. Yeah. Were you looking at schools all over the East Coast, all over the country? I mean, 21 schools to look at is a lot. I looked at, I think, 12, and I thought that was a lot. So you got me nearly yeah. doubled. I think pretty much up and down the East Coast. We didn't do too much out west, but yeah. up and down the east coast, we looked at big schools, small schools, in a city, closed campus. Um, mm-hmm. And so I liked Williamsburg because it wasn't in a city. It was kind of medium sized. Kind of checked all those boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, having 
gotten into cycling in college myself, I appreciate getting into this sport that becomes your out-of-college career. When you were getting into triathlon, what did you suppose the future was going to hold for you? Anybody's guess? Was it just a way to balance academics and athletics? What do you, what do you think? I th- at first it was very much, yes, just to have kind of an outlet. Um, because growing up, I always did a sport. I wanted to continue to do that. I didn't want to just sit still and study. Um, but I pretty soon fell in love with triathlon and my plan after college was to be a professional triathlete. <laughs> I wanted to move to Boulder and pursue that. Um, but William and Mary doesn't have a triathlon club, but we did have a cycling club. So that was very quickly my, my primary sort of social group and we would go to all the cycling races together. So it it was still a few years of me doing triathlon while being part of the cycling club. But Uh by, by junior year of college, I was finally like no more triathlon, just, just riding for me now. Nice. Yeah. The whole club program is interesting, which I think to the uninformed you know, I mean, one of the first questions people ask is, is collegiate cycling an NCAA sport? And no, it's not. A few schools do have formal, uh, I, I think the term is endowed, collegiate programs. But by and large, it's, they're clubs. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's like it, they operate off the hard work of the students who really want to get into them. What I love yeah. about collegiate cycling is just it is that balance of antics and fun and hard work and total newbies to experienced hard work and pros that are going to make it. Um, so, so yeah, by the time you get to senior year, what you're studying kinesiology, I believe, which yep. I mean, shoot, like tell me what kinesiology is because that's to me, that sounds like the, uh, like the perfect pursuit of an aspiring professional athlete. What is kinesiology? It sounds like the, the study of movement. Yep. Kinesiology means literally the study of movement. Um, huh. it's essentially an, <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's essentially an, an exercise science degree. Um, a lot of people, especially at William and Mary study that to then go on to physical therapy school or, or something like that, which I did briefly consider, but then my cycling dreams got in the way of that. So <laughs> is it a lot of, is it a lot of anatomy? Is it a lot of, uh, physics? Is it, yeah. What, what, trajectory not, of science not so much physics but yes a lot of anatomy biology biomechanics uh that yeah. sort of thing so i loved it because even even when i was doing triathlon and then cycling it it very much fit into just all of everything i was interested in yep so then come senior year come time to graduate talk to me about your track through the ranks I mean, ultimately now landing on Tibco SVB, you went, you graduated of college and said, okay, I'm going to attempt to be a professional cyclist. Is that right? Um, sort of. Yeah. Looking, looking back at it is kind of funny. So I, when I graduated college, it was sort of in the back of my mind, a goal to maybe one day still be a pro cyclist, uh-huh. but I had only really done collegiate racing, maybe one or two you know, P one, two, three races where I got close to last. (laughs) So I knew, (laughs) I knew that if I was to go pro, I still had a ways to go. So I, uh, just started looking for jobs. Um, I did personal training for a little bit. Um, and essentially I decided that I did want to go to PT school after graduating, which was 
not too convenient because then all of a sudden I had a bunch of other prereq classes that I was going to need to take to even apply to physical therapy school. So I started doing that while working as a, as a personal trainer and a physical therapy tech. So I was in the field, getting some experience and trying to work my way towards that. Meanwhile, going to bike races on the weekend. Um, And I was loving that. And it was maybe two years out of, so I graduated in 2017 um, and it would have been fall of 2018. I, I quit my job as a PT tech and picked up a part-time remote job, uh, totally different than PT. It was an online writing tutor, but it was something that was flexible. Um, and I could use my liberal arts education <laughs> to, to get that job. Um, so it was convenient because I then had much more time to train and travel to races. So all of 2019, I, I was lucky to have a lot of guest riding opportunities with various domestic elite teams, pretty much going to, to all of the, the U.S. UCI and pro road tour races, mm-hmm. um, and then was lucky to get picked up by TIBCO for this year. So this year is actually my first year as a pro cyclist, and my, my ah. first year on TIBCO. Nice. Now, this sort of a perfect hinge off that last piece where you're talking about guest riding. Um, the, I mean, the question is is purposefully vague. I'm always curious to hear people's perspective of of the state of cycling, and because we all have different you know seats in which we sit to to base our answers, I'm curious about the state of cycling that that you see it. Um, and maybe jumping into the specific question, if you're if if there are teams that are comprised of composite racers, like how does that even work logistically? How does a team get get picked with um, maybe not yet set roster. Yeah. Um, gosh, yeah, that's a, a lot of pieces to tackle in that question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think to answer your first question of the state of cycling, I think, um, I've been pretty naive to it for, for a lot of my, my rise through the ranks. Just, I, I don't come from a cycling family. I don't, um, necessarily have a ton of, of resources, although I've, I've met plenty of people who've become great mentors, uh, throughout the past couple of years. But I think it was just, I loved the sport all through college and, and out of college, even the local races, I, I loved it. And I just wanted to see how far I could go with it essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially I had to guest ride because I wasn't on a team that could go to these big races. Um, even just domestic elite teams still need to have quite a bit of, of funding to buy the domestic elite license and then send riders to these races. Um, so a, a few of the teams I was on each race was a composite team, the Amy mm-hmm. D foundation, for example, yep. um, where, where their mission is to provide opportunities to riders like myself who want the experience and exposure at these big races. And then a lot of it was just networking. Maybe a domestic elite team had an extra spot. Um, and I had a friend of a friend on that team. So yeah. I could kind of reach out and ask, Hey, can, can I get a ride with you guys? Um, uh, to kind of piece together a calendar. And a lot of it was, I didn't know what my next race was until a couple of weeks before when I got the call that I've got a spot on the team. Yeah. So a lot of it was just piecing it together. That's wild. So, I mean, yeah, let I, like to talk about the state of cycling is, I mean, that's a, that's a three week conversation, let alone to try to fit it into an hour or a few minutes within an hour. What do you, from your perspective right now, you're what, 26 years old? 25. 25. Yeah, turning 26. Call it 
relatively late into the sport in that you didn't pick up cycling when you're 10 years old, like some of your European counterparts. You've, you've come into the sport sort of at a similar time to gravel is booming. Um, domestic road racing is sort of all over the map. Um, and here you are on arguably America's strongest team that does a whole, you know, a whole host of international racing. What, what the heck is that all like? Is it, is it exciting? Is it anxiety provoking? Is it, uh, anything under the sun? What is it like? I think, I think it's mostly exciting. There's definitely, um, anxiety producing pieces to, to being a professional cyclist. But, um, I think that in some ways the, the pandemic, the landscape of American road racing changing has been a blessing in disguise to introduce me to gravel. So this year is my first year doing any sort of gravel race as well. Um, (laughs) and and I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. and I might not have found it or might not have found it as quickly had there been the sort of traditional road racing calendar, you know, even before the pandemic each year, races are going away, unfortunately, but this year specifically, they've been postponed just because of uncertainty in the spring. And that meant we needed to find other races to do. Um, and, and gravel really is booming. So mm-hmm. kind of, in some ways the stars aligned that I've been introduced to this whole different part of cycling that, that I'm, I think looks, looks really good. I think I'm really hopeful that gravel is on a very good trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think it's anybody's guess the direction is going to go. And that's sort of the fun hurry up and wait perspective that we all get to, to sit front seat in. Um, so yeah, I mean, Tibco, Relatively long-standing team, um, primarily American. Is that correct? I mean, you have you, there are a handful of international teammates. What is what has that experience been like? Given that this is your first year, the world is in a way. Hopefully, we're coming out of COVID. Um, have you been over to Europe? Is there aspirations to get over there? Is there any idea whether that does happen? If that happens, yeah, yeah. So so far, this year has definitely been a little wacky. I've only yeah. met three of my teammates <laughs> out of, out of the 13 of us, we have, we have six U S riders and seven international riders. Okay. Um, and they've been, everyone has primarily been racing over in Europe this spring. Um, I am getting to go over there in September, which I'm extremely excited about, um, to race a stage race over in France. Nice. So that'll be my very first time racing in Europe and my first time meeting another handful of my teammates, which is pretty crazy to be saying. And, <laughs> September right. of a calendar year, but, um, the gravel has been really fun. And even though I haven't met many of my teammates in person, it's just been really, really fun to, you know, we, they'll talk about the races in the group chat, talk about training, all of that. So it, it has still been really awesome, even if a little untraditional this year. Well, I think there's something cool about the experience of gravel, not least of which, because it can allow you to work on those bike handling skills, which of course you need in spades when you go over and race in Europe on super narrow roads. So that's really cool. Um, I'm not sure which of the three teammates that you've met, but curiously, I've met three of your teammates. I mean, I think as a result of the state of cycling that we're in, I met Emily Newsom. She was the first one I met at Oklahoma Gravel Growler, literally right before the pandemic. That was uh, February 1st, 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, Kristen Faulkner, I met this spring out in California, 
again, doing a grasshopper, one of these gravel mixed terrain events. Um, and then Lauren Stevens, I met at a gravel event, gravel Locos 150. And then of course, soon after that was nationals, which I was paying attention to. And that came away as a, as a massive result. And then she and you and Emily came to, uh, rooted Vermont. So there's, there is, there's something very siloed about professional cycling where you often don't interact with, I mean, even on the world tour teams that have a male and female counterpart programs, you got, there isn't a ton of interaction. Whereas gravel is just this sort of democratization of meeting and hanging out and seeing so many people, which has been awesome. Um, so yeah, that's where one of the, one of the examples that I think is so, so much fun about gravel. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I felt that at every gravel race and definitely at Rooted was uh-huh. the, the community feel of it was absolutely my favorite part. Nice. Um, I met so many new people as well as, you know, seeing old friends and uh-huh. yeah, at a lot of these, these stage races, you're just, you're in your little team bubble and maybe you say hi to one or two other girls that, you know, on another team, but otherwise there's not, there's not much hanging out, which mm-hmm. I, I love that about the gravel races. Yeah. And of course I want to ask you questions about rooted, but before I do that, you've had some success in Vermont prior to that on the road. Uh, coincidentally, I rode, I rode four gaps today. Um, Lincoln, Appalachian, Middlebury, and Brandon. Um, you've had some success at, at Green Mountain Stage Race, which is another it's such a cool segue in terms of talking about the state of, of cycling because this is a what I call America's best stage race. It's a race that you know nearly went away two, three years ago as a result of the state of cycling. And now this year, like I can't think of more than one other stage race that exists in North America. And so hopefully it's just absolutely booming. GMSR, what's your experience there? Probably one of my favorite races. It's funny Boom. after rooted, I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't I haven't won a race since since being in Vermont two years ago <laughs> nice. um, at the Green Mountain Stage Race. Good but luck, State. I think yeah, I think that race was definitely um, one of the races that that made me think, okay, I, I actually do want to pursue this professionally, and I think I can. Mm-hmm. Um, having success at that race, you know, it's not maybe the top, top, um, stage race in the country. But as you said, there's, there's so few now, um, that it does draw a lot of talent and yeah, gosh, I love, I love that race. That's funny that you rode that today. It, it's such a, I mean, this is going to be an unofficial advertisement for GMSR. It's <laughs> Labor Day weekend in Vermont, which I'd call it, I, I saw one year that they had horrendous weather, but basically let's assume that 95% yeah, that of the time year. it is perfect weather. It's pre pre peak foliage season, but even today I was seeing some of the leaves change. Super challenging. Uh, you're you're literally racing just up and down the Green Mountains. Um, four stages. It has everything. There's a, a stage one uphill TT prologue, which I believe you won. I did. Yes. At a girl. <laughs> uh, very hard circuit race on day two. Very hard road race on day three that goes up and over two or three gaps, um, depending on the year. And then a really cool downtown criterium in downtown Burlington, like straight through the pedestrian streets. And it's just, it is, it is what is good about bike racing in, in America. So if your team has not yet signed up, folks, you need to sign up for the GMSR because it is, it is something special. It is. It's awesome. Um, okay. So rooted rooted was your first gravel race. Is that right? Uh, no, it was my third gravel race. 
Okay, ever. so you have like basically an Eddie Merckx like winning percentage in gravel if you've won thirty percent of the races that you've done. Um, what what everything? What were you 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 talked about your impressions in hindsight? What were your expectations? Um, did you? I mean, I should we should preface this all by saying you won the thing, which is a, a large portion why I called you up. Um, yeah, were you expecting to come away with a win? Were you expecting much of anything? Where and, and very importantly, where is your race winning axe? But you can get to that after all the other <laughs> mumbling questions. Um, I think I would definitely be lying if I said I didn't want to win. I definitely came into the weekend feeling really, really good. Um, so you know, most of the time you, you line up to the race because either you want to win or you want your teammates to win. So mm-hmm. that's very much the mindset that we had. Um, so it was the three of us, me, Lauren and Emily. Um, we didn't have necessarily a plan of who was going to win. We just knew we, we wanted that top step and as many of us on the podium as possible. Um, and then just as, as the day played out, Lauren and I were in the lead group together. Um, and, and, she told me at one point as we were getting closer to the finish, we were with uh, one other rider, um, Mo Wilson and Lauren essentially said, if, you know, if she attacks, I'll cover. And if she doesn't, I'll just lead you into the finish. So <laughs> that was the moment I was like, Oh man. All right. National champs working for me. Can't yeah. mess this up. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> um, and, uh, we, we ended up just coming the two of us into the finish. Um, so, so that was really, really cool too, to get to, to share the podium with her, to go, to go one, two. That's um, very special. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my ax is in the hallway. I haven't hung it up yet because we've been showing it off to everyone. Naturally. Yeah. Yes. So folks, this is a artisanal ax made by a Vermont woodmaker. It is, it is entirely wooden. So you'd, be a little bit silly if you tried to cut down a tree with it because you'll probably break the axe. But, um, but it's very beautiful. How? So the weather was a little bit funny that weekend. Um, never in my wildest dreams would I ever consider August first in Vermont that I'd be worried about being cold. Yeah. Because you know, without fail, like today was probably ninety-two percent humidity and eighty-nine degrees. Like. We're now exactly uh, one week and one day after rooted. The weather was was great on Saturday, and then race day Sunday was a little bit um, damper and cooler than expected. How do you how do you do in in inclement conditions? Did you know that that would be uh, play to your advantage? Um, we had been eyeing the weather, so I was prepared for the rain, um, and I would say generally it's maybe not an advantage necessarily, but not a disadvantage either. Definitely the cooler temperatures I thrive in. So I was really, really excited for that. Um, and, and the rain didn't really bother me too much. If anything, it was, it was nice because it was cooling. The one mistake I made was I took my glasses off because I couldn't see, um, but I couldn't see with them off either (laughs) because of just getting (laughs) mud sprayed in my face the whole rest of the day. But, um, it was cool. That was my first my first rainy gravel race. So first time kind of racing in the mud and and that was part of it too. Part of what made it just a really fun adventure race yeah. day. Yeah, as we had thunderstorms in the forecast all throughout the week, like you never know what you're gonna get. And people are saying, Are you concerned? And it's like, it's gravel. If I was hosting in downtown city criterium and we had thunderstorms in the forecast, yeah, I'd be terrified. But you know, this is all just part of the adventure and 
you know, midway through the course, you're going through man eating puddles, woman eating puddles. Um, how did, how, you know, we have what we call class four, which are these ancient unmaintained roads. How did the race unfold there? I mean, how many, how many girls went into those sections together? Because that is really something that's going to shake up the race. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we had, we had pre-road the class four section. So, so we knew what was ahead. Um, it was actually super, a super cool experience going into the class four, um, groups had been kind of uh, breaking apart and coming together, uh, up until that point. Um, but Lauren, myself and Emily, we were all in the lead group going into the class four. Um, nice. so we were still up there with Ian and all those guys fighting for their positions going into that section. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was cool. It felt, it felt kind of epic to be there up in the mix. Um, and I think there were, there were definitely a few other girls in that group as well. Um, and, and another handful, maybe, you know, 30 seconds back, um, back on the road. So that was, that was definitely really fun fighting for position going into that. Um, the first puddle section, we kind of knew the first few to maybe not try to go through the middle, but it was <laughs> definitely a case of, you know, one person puts a foot down and you're, you're two bikes back. So you're putting a foot down too. So, yeah. um, maybe, maybe not the cleanest run for me being, being not at the very, very front, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I did my best and I knew that I knew that that was potentially going to happen, the bottlenecking, um, but but I did know that there were a few other puddles that I could go through the middle, so I just went for it there. <laughs> oh dang! Um, <laughs> and then going into that that second class four section right after, I was super nervous. Um, again, we had we had pre ridden it, um, and I had actually this was maybe a little more gnarly than that first technical single track at Unbound, um, which I raced this year um, and ended up crashing and breaking my hand. Oh my. So I was a little nervous uh-huh. going into that section. Just, you know, it was uh, not that it was bringing back memories of that, but it, it's still in the back of your mind, you know, coming into a technical section. So, uh, and, and since it was wet and all that too, like I knew, I knew it was going to be a little tricky, um, but made it through. I did actually put a foot down and take a little tumble, um, and felt very bad for holding up everyone behind me, but they were super nice about it. <laughs> Everyone's like, you got it. <laughs> um, which is another thing I love about gravel. Yeah. Um, everyone's just, just so positive. You know, we're all just out there suffering together. Um, but so I eventually made it out of the class four relatively unscathed. Um, and I was with my teammate, Emily, we, emerged together um and everyone was a little strung out and she she helped me get back up to another group um and i would eventually then climb up to to lauren and mo in their their lead group so yeah right on and how about so what i call the exact halfway point you're going through our friend willem's yard (laughs) which you know you're going down the hill you turn right into a driveway some really cool, but eh, I don't know, maybe a three quarters of a mile of single track ensues. And that's, that's a pretty important section. But what I really want to ask is Willem serves up these like Dutch pancakes or something. Were you able to get any of those? I'm still yet to get any of these. And I hear that they're basically a pancake that's drenched in butter and then poured on maple syrup and into perfect bites. 
I was not, and I'm still really upset about it. I know, I know. We were, I was with a group that did not stop. So if you're with a group that you want to stay with and they're not stopping, that means Mm -hmm. you're not stopping either. So I think they were holding it on sticks. So I could have tried to take a hand up, but I'm glad I didn't because I also was not aware of the single track that was about to come up. (laughs) So maybe for the best. It's interesting, you know, so many people in the month beforehand are asking, hey, Ted, can you send over the, the ride of the GPS file? And on one hand, I, I want to so that, you know, show off this course that we think is very beautiful. On the other hand, it goes through our friend's yard and you don't yeah. want to have him inundated with, with bikes all day, every day. Yeah, of course. Um, and yeah, you, the conversation of whether to stop was a really interesting one that I was, you know, I was trying to, Highly suggest that everybody stop, at least at that one. We had, I want to say, four or five aid stations on course uh, between the two courses. And then again, curiously, going back to the weather, as a result of it being so cool, it, it was almost, you know, you basically didn't need to. Whereas other years, yeah, two hours into a race, you'd be definitely dry through two water bottles by then and everybody would be stopping. Which the cohesiveness and camaraderie of a front group yeah it's like okay look everybody you can have this conversation we're gonna stop we're gonna fill up bottles real quick you'll grab those pancakes and hit the road um shoot i was unaware that you had ridden unbound and visited a hospital i did the okay okay did you end up finishing the race I did. Yes. <laughs> I did not, I did not anticipate that my hand was broken. I knew it was a little sore, but mm-hmm. I think adrenaline was my friend in that case. Um, and I, and I finished the race. And then, so this is what the, we'll call it the Kansan class four. Um, what round mile 25? Like that's the mm-hmm. first yeah. rough section. Yeah. Brutal. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was my intro to gravel. Okay, you're like, what the heck have I gotten into? Yeah, um, and then I came back for more, so. Yeah. What was the, I mean, spoken like a true cyclist, what was the aftermath of the injury? Was it like take an hour and a half off and then go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as far as injuries go, I do feel like I was I was pretty lucky. Um, I was in a splint and I had to be in that for a month, but after a week, I was already riding outdoors again in the splint. Um, really the only bummer was it meant that I had to sit out nationals, uh, road nationals. So Mm -hmm. that was definitely a bummer, especially given our, our awesome team result. Um, Mm -hmm. but other than that success there in the past, you were what top 10 the year before. Yeah. The year before. Yeah. Booyah. So, but yeah, as far as injuries go, I was, I was back on the bike pretty quickly and racing pretty quickly after that as well. I did BWR in, in July. So. Oh, so you're just like swinging for the fences when it terms comes to to. I'm not going to go do a local gravel race. I'm going to go <laughs> to. How did how did BWR shape up for you? Um, I think it, it was okay. I think it was pretty rough. Um, uh-huh. I ended up seventh on the day. Um, uh-huh. Ultimately, I think that the heat was really brutal. Um, so it was stark contrast, and then get to come to Vermont. So I I would much prefer the weather that we had it rooted over the, I think someone said it was like a hundred degrees in the Valley at, at BWR. Mm-hmm. So that was, yeah, that was pretty brutal, but um, it's just, yeah, it's just fun to experience it all. Honestly. There, those two in particular, um, 
BWR and Rooted are probably polar opposites in virtually every way, not mm-hmm. least of which that they're on polar opposite sides of the country. BWR is San Diego County, and we're in rural Vermont. Um, yeah. The I thought it was very funny. I went into BWR with a bike that had like the tightest clearance. I put on some really big tires on my Cannondale road bike, knowing that it's not going to rain. So then when I woke up the day of the event and there's a deluge and everybody's like, this has not happened in decades. And I'm thinking, well, there, there goes my luck. Um, But even with that pre-race rain, the course could not have been any drier. Um, Yeah. The irony of a July BWR and how everybody was lamenting about how hot it was, which it most certainly was. I mean, triple digits are heinous. I've they've had the same kind of heat in the traditional May date. Right. So like it's right. going to be hot, period, no matter what, and it's going to be dry and so so the I mean the contrast at May to to July it's they're virtually the same race. Um although they did change the venue which which made it all the more mm busy but man yeah. shoot okay so like there you are in virginia which has a, a burgeoning not burgeoning it has a very strong cycling scene are there gravel does, races yeah. there that are like popping up in your calendar you say "Ooh, i have a free weekend i want to go to or is it much more like okay this is my the, my regiment that i need to be hitting up there there are a few um shout out to my friend cynthia frazier she hosted a gravel um a gravel race this year called gravista um, that was also in June. So I was unfortunately not able to participate just because of my healing hand. Um, but that race is going to happen next year as well. Um, and that's in the Virginia Blue Ridge mountains and the gravel out there is, is awesome. Um, Vermont gravel is awesome too. So I'm not going to say which is better, but <laughs> they're, they're both, they're both a little different. They're both beautiful, um, and challenging and, and everything you want in, yeah. in the, in the mountains. So, um, there's that race here in Virginia. And then I think there are are one or two other smaller races, but for the most part, I've been lucky in that the, the team is sending us to all these gravel races. So I I get to go where, where they say, um, that our next race is. That's super cool. State of gravel, state of cycling. Um, Mm -hmm. okay. Lifting up to some higher level questions. Where do you draw your motivation? I'm definitely very self-motivated. Um, I think to a certain extent you have to be to be successful in the sport. Um, but but to a certain extent, it's you know my my crew around me, my fiance will, my parents, everyone who's supported me, um, there definitely is motivation in 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 doing well for them too. Um, but but I think ultimately it still comes down to me just wanting to be the best I can be and see, see where that upper limit is. Mm-hmm. Perfect answer. Hinging off that when you need to work through something, some kind of problem, be it training, be it life. Do you rely on those people? Do you, do you reach out to Will and your family or are you more of a head down grind through it? do it yourself kind of person. I feel like it's cheating to say both, <laughs> but I think even if I draw on support from other people, I still need to arrive at the answer myself. So, 
I still want to put my head down and, and figure out the answer to the problem. Um, but it feels better to do that with support and knowing that you can have people to, to lean on and to help you as well. Mm-hmm. Are you calculated in your training? Very. Yeah. yeah. Um, how does, how does your training look and not from like a, a training peak schedule, but are you working diligently with a coach, with a team coach, with a whole series of people? What is, what does your training look like? Um, I have a personal coach, um, who I've been working with for, I think going on seven years now. Nice. So yeah, we've been working together for a long, long time, um, and working well. Um, but, but outside of, of my coach, I wouldn't say I have too many other sort of support staff. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty small production. Yep. And I might be able to guess the answer based on what you just said. I'll, I'll lead this question by saying when I, when I was training and racing, I would periodically call it once every two weeks. I would, my coach knew that I needed a soul ride, which is what he would call it. Like just this head clearing lactic acid filling ride, just go ride for five, six, seven hours. The question being, are you the kind of person who wants intervals all day, every day? Do you want that kind of calculated training or do you also like to go out and just sort of see where the road and bike takes you? Definitely both. I would not say I want intervals all day, every day. I definitely (laughs) still need the soul rides. Um, but, but even still, because I'm very calculated, I want the soul ride to be exactly on the day that it should be. Um, and I, I'm definitely still not the type of rider to just go out without any plan at all. It can be, it can be a, you know, five, six hour ride and with, with no structure, but I still probably have a vague idea of the distance and where I'm going to go, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so still needs some degree of calculation. I like that. Don't need to get lost in the woods and make a two hour ride, a overnight adventure. Well, some people love that. I know. So. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like the whole concept of what do you pack for a ride? Do you pack a, a, a tube and a CO2 or do you pack a bivy and a <laughs> yeah. an SOS? Um, where does cycling fit into your life? Is it your sole goal and laser focus right now? Is this, is this a chapter of your life? Where does it, where does it all fit in? It's definitely my primary goal at the moment. Um, I I hesitate to say it's my whole life because I do strive to have a balance. So it is, it is a priority and I make a lot of choices based on the goal of pursuing a professional career. And I, I want to have a long and prosperous professional career too, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but as I said, I, I strive for a balance too. So friends and family, um, I actually launched a coaching business last year Oh, um, awesome. which has been super fun to, to utilize my kinesiology degree finally. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been really, really fun as well. Um, a, a few of my athletes are, are friends I've known for a while, but uh, an even bigger portion are people that I'd never met until I was put in contact with them. Um, so, so that's been really rewarding too, and has been nice, even though it's still in the realm of cycling and endurance sports, um, and triathlon, it's, it's a separate part of it. That's not me only focusing on myself. It's 
it's me getting to use my knowledge to help others. So it's been really nice to have that balance in my life as well. Yeah. That is perfect. Um, yeah, I think of the, did cycling find me or did I find cycling for anybody who rides a bike? Um, so to that end, what do you suppose in the, the ultimate of theoreticals, what do you suppose you'd be doing if you weren't riding a bike? Oh man. Um, I'm not sure that I know the answer to that. Which is Um, a perfect answer as well. (laughs) Um, I'd like to think that even if I wasn't, um, even if I wasn't pursuing it professionally, I, I would still be riding a bike no matter what I was doing. So. And that, I completely agree with that. You know, cycling has become every aspect of my life. It seems these days. and, And I hope it's not in that all consuming way. And I like to think that even if I weren't a professional cyclist in whatever professional capacity I'd be doing, I would have found this sport. I would have gone, you know, be it a weekend warrior or whatever the heck. And I think that's, I think that's a commonality of a lot of people who ride bikes um, because we like to fill our schedules with all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Okay. We're going to wrap with three very difficult questions. Oh, no. First, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Hands down, Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. No question. Yeah. I love it. And I don't disagree. Number two, what is the number one place you'd like to ride a bike that you've never ridden? Ooh, um, I think in Spain. I've, I've been able to ride in France and Italy, and those are both beautiful. Um, and I've heard only good things about riding in Spain as well. C. I agree. <laughs> and living or otherwise fictitious or real, who is the number one person with whom you'd like to go on a bike ride? A fictitious person? Yeah, you could say like Bugs Bunny. Oh, uh... Well, that's what makes it difficult when I said person because I'm like, or, <laughs> or like Jack Sparrow because he's actually a person. But um, This is definitely the hardest question that I've had to answer. Well, you can say Bugs Bunny, but... It's, <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to steal that. Um, you and I haven't ridden together before, so I would quite like to ride with Ted King. That would be awesome. <laughs> In fact, this is... What is this? Podcast number 77. And I've asked this like 70 times. No one's ever said me. You just <laughs> lit up my sails and man. Okay. And before you change your answer, I'm going to just take that one. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Rad. Well, hopefully it's before Rooted Vermont 2022. Let's go for a bike ride sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are you doing? Green Mountain Stage Race weekend. I'm probably not going to race it, but... I'm going to be, I think, flying to France. So Fair enough. Sad, sad to miss it, but... Very good excuse. Yeah. Right on. Well, that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is super fun. Yeah, I appreciate Isn't you coming I- up to Vermont, uh, sharing a heck of a lot of insight. This was, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. This is my first ever podcast. So. Oh, wow. Well, you yeah. nailed it. Dude, yeah. from the very beginning, getting like perfect audio, 
I love it. We haven't had a I single guess flaw. I, Watch yeah. me like having forgot to have recorded it or something. <laughs> oh, no. That would be the flaw. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to ask you all those questions again. <laughs> and then you'll have a new favorite person that you want to ride with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Change all my answers. Ah, <laughs> uh, brilliant. Well, I wish you a fantastic rest of your season. I hope we get to go for a bike thank ride you. sometime soon. And thank you so much for coming to Rooted. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Ted.